Hi, it's Debbie here. Just a quick note before we start. Like so many of our listeners, we're processing what we've been seeing on the news this week. We're thinking about all the innocent lives lost, all those who are injured, and those who have nowhere to turn. In regards to this episode with the inspiring Rachel Ray, I just wanted to make a note that this was recorded before the attacks on October the 7th. We hope that Rachel's generosity and passion to help Ukrainians can inspire us all to think about how we can help others during these times. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. So I just want to open this up with saying thank you so much for joining us. Now you're coming out of your Tuscan kitchen to chat to us. Um, I hope you're cooking up a storm. I am. Uh, well, actually, it's a very little storm. Most times that we have, uh, I call them family dinners, but most nights that we do family dinners, two days ago, I did one for 18. Most nights it's for a lot of folks. Today we're just having two plus us, so that's only five. So it's really kind of baby steps, but if I have five people, it's the equivalent of cooking for 15. When I have 18, it's like cooking for 40. And people take home boxes stacked taller than my head. Are you always cooking? Always, of course, it's it's my chosen profession. It's how I grew up. My mother paid me under the table from the time I was 12 years old. So I have been in restaurants uh, or in service to people and cooking for them. Uh, what am I now, 55 years old, so over 40 years. Yeah, it's all I do. Do you dream about recipes at night? Yeah, oh no, I write around the clock. But because of the SAG strike, I have all these new jobs. I have six different shows and a podcast, but I can't work on any of them because I can't book anything because oh. everybody's on strike. So right. I feel very frustrated. So of course I invite over every single person I know in the entire region, the entire province of Siena, just come eat. And we do these big family dinners uh, several, several times a week. Well, that's the Tuscan way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's occupational therapy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Recreational therapy. No, but it's my same way in, in the States too. That's just who I am. That's like my personality. And when I'm not cooking food, I'm painting food or drawing food or writing cookbooks. I've written like close to 30 and I paint and draw food too. Do you? I call them foodles. Foodles. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's brilliant. So, Rachel, first of all, first of all, I want you to meet Tommy. Tommy's my co-host. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Tommy's a lucky name for me. One of my dearest friends, Tommy Crudup, he's producing um, my, my podcast called um, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. That's amazing. And Tommy is Billy Crudup's brother. And I love them both so much. They're like family members to me. So Tommy's a lucky name. So I, I love you already. I love that you were sitting in the dark. That's that's pretty fun and cool. That's you usually always sitting in the dark. That's what I said to him. You need to get out of the closet. I'm in Toronto, Canada, and it's early in the morning and it's so dark here. But Rachel, you and I have a couple of mutual friends in uh, Jen Gorder and John Gidding. Oh, yes! <laughs> I wanted to tell you, have for years told me the most wonderful and lovely things about you. And I've been looking forward to meeting you because they have said such nice things. Your show was their favorite show to do, and they adore you. So I bribe people with food, you know. <laughs> well, they're both good eaters. And you know, I call, I've always had a mad crush on John Gidding. 
And you know, I call him giddy up. Did he tell Oh, you? yeah. No, no, no. And listen, John and Jen can both get it. I think they're both stunning. I can't even, like when they're together, I can't take my eyes off them. It's insane. They're just so such beautiful people inside and out. No, they're great. I love them too. I love them too. You know, we're going to be doing so many different types of programming now, and I'm mm. very excited about that. Good. But there are certain aspects that I'll always miss about, you know, 17 years of doing uh, that type of programming. There's, there's yeah. things I won't miss too, just to be honest. Of course. Now I can be more focused on exactly what I want to say and how I want to say it with lots of different people that we're producing, not just me. Yeah. I'm going to continue making programs, but I'm also getting a chance to highlight people. I really want the world to meet in very specific areas. And the podcast thing, I got to tell you, I already filmed one. I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah. Very, very uber famous person mm-hmm. who came here to my home and was here for a few days. I just adore this human being. And we did our first one and then the strike happened. Ah. We were going to start uh, streaming them uh, in September. And of course, we can't uh, because yeah. the strike happened. I'm, I'm a member of SAG. So, mm-hmm. but wow, that first one. It's waiting to go, baby. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. So, Rachel, you're not far from me. Tommy's in Toronto. I'm in Tuscany. You're in Tuscany, at the other side of the famous Val d'Orcia from me. When did you move there? Well, that's a, that's a whopper of a question. So, during the pandemic, my main home in upstate New York, where I largely grew up, when I was very, very little, I lived in uh, Massachusetts, in, in Cape Cod. But then we had two gas crises back to back and no one could afford to go there anymore. So my family went bankrupt. Our family restaurants, we had to sell. My mom went to work for other people in upstate New York. So I moved to upstate New York. In upstate New York, my husband and I built a a big home together. I had a home before the one we ended up building after years of knowing each other. I had a little rent to own, five seventy five a month on three and a half acres with an indoor fireplace and an outdoor fireplace, only one toilet. I mean, it's upstate New York, yeah. but this little cabin. And I worked in very successfully in New York City for many years as a food buyer and running marketplaces. But then I was mugged twice. What? So I left New York because I just thought I was going to die soon. And once I moved back to upstate New York, that's where I started a cooking class to sell groceries at the market I was working at called 30 Minute Meals. That became television shows for the Food Network and other things. Yes, I remember. Yes. So that's, it's, it's a long, weird way to get a job, but that's how it happened. I love to write. I love to draw. I always have since I was a little girl. My grandfather was one of 14. My mother is one of uh, 12, 10 lived. She's the first born that survived. You know, Sicilians. What do yeah, you know? big families. Yes. Uh, so my grandpa lived with us when I was a child. And that was my love of cooking and growing food and knowing where food comes from and what the circle of life is and how to be responsible in a kitchen and in your garden. All of that came from 
that multi-generation upbringing um, that I was lucky enough to have. And my mama lives across the street from me when we're in upstate New York. She has her own home that's like big. (laughs) She's never there. She's always in my old little cabin across the street. She just prefers it. (laughs) She likes to watch the animals. She has cats and she likes to watch the, we have a lot of animals. Um, She likes to watch the wild turkey and the grouse, the little fat round hens and all of the multiple types of deer and the fat uh, porcupines and the fat little roly poly mountain bears and, Oh my gosh. Beautiful. It's like she lives in the zoo. Yeah. So she, she prefers being at my little tiny cabin from that I bought for $111,000 rent to own a gajillion years ago. <laughs> she prefers to be there than in her giant, beautiful house. that's only a few minutes away. My sister stays there most of the time because my mother rescued a mother and her six kittens from a abandoned construction site in the middle of winter a gajillion years ago. And that mom and all of her kids live in my mother's house instead of my mother. Oh my God. That's amazing. So my sister who helps us make the TV show, because when we film upstate, it's just us. It's just myself and my husband. Maria will go find an obscure ingredient. And she has like a whole network and uh, she does all the baking on our show, uh, on, on what was the daytime show. And she's included in all of the work we're going to be doing going forward. She's a big part of that, a big presence in it. So we're all together a lot. We're like a weird cult, but we don't live together. We live almost apart, but not very far from each other. (laughs) That's the best way. Yes, it is the best way. Um, so yeah, there you go. So the, the, the new hybrid is I'm going to produce some people in a studio format. A few of the talents that I'm producing, we're going to shoot in a studio because that's their preference. They think it's going to be easier for them. And I'm going to be shooting from here in, in Tuscany and from my home in upstate New York. And we're going to have some surprise guests all over the place in different places. And the podcast, we have a a music studio because my husband is a lawyer by day, but a musician by night. And uh, we have a huge professional studio, soundboard, the whole thing, both here in Italy and in upstate New York. So we can also do the podcast from, from both places. So we have a lot coming up. We're just waiting for all of the kind of dust to settle. And have you got a fabulous kitchen in Tuscany? Yeah, it, it doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> that's, to be, that's to be expected from Rachel Ray for sure. We actually have two kitchens here because the house is actually two structures. And by, by law here, you cannot touch any structure that was photographed or drawn. You can't change the original structure itself for obvious reasons, uh, you know, these are hundreds of years old and, and, and they're a huge part of history and blah, blah. So you can only build out the insides. But when I picked this property, um, 
my husband said, honey, there's things that are for sale all over the place. They say Vendeze for sale. And they actually have water and electricity. <laughs> that would help. All these novelty items. <laughs> this place had none of that. It had carcasses of animals um, and just kind of general filth. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm buying this, this property. And it is 66 hectares of perfectly kept vineyards uh, with mostly Sangiovese and a tiny bit of Syrah and perfectly kept olive trees. The family wanted no part of the, the little villa structures that are here that I turned yeah. into our home. So they had been let go. So I thought, what a bargain. I get all of this and I have Grapes that I can make proprietary wine with. I just have to pick my partner and put my grapes into the community. And I have these beautiful olive trees and I can make gallons and gallons of olive oil. And I have every type of fruit tree. And I mean, it's amazing. It sounds beautiful. And because there was no running water and like no actual home, it was a great deal. I, so I thought. But that's often the way, isn't it? It's because they, in Tuscany, the land is what they love, the farmers. And often these beautiful houses, which, we, you know, like you say, hundreds and hundreds of years old, are where they keep all their farm equipment and dead, dead carcasses. You know, it's, it's, they don't care. They care about the land. And so you, their trees, their olive trees will be in perfect condition, but the ceilings have all fallen in. Oh, I didn't have any of oh, Please. This ceiling, the, the, the room I'm sitting in, this, there's two structures here. One was the, the stable keeps where he lived. Again, no electricity, no running water, no nothing. There's just a, a wood-burning oven, a huge wood-burning oven. But he used to sleep on top of the oven once he was done making food because it would keep him warm in the winter. Wow. I mean, I know. It's hardcore, man. Yeah, this is hardcore. So we, we, we started this project. My second dog, Izabu, was still alive. She came here three times. She died when she was 16. We had to go uh, back home. The pandemic began. They closed our show down. And we had to fulfill the rest of the contract for the year. So John and I moved to our home in upstate New York across the street from the little rent-to-own house. We built a, a big house on a piece of property that we got for a great price, very big, 199 acres. And we built this, this lovely place that I drew uh, the original sketch for on a piece of uh, notebook paper. Okay, we'll add architect to Rachel Ray's resume now. I'm not, I'm not an architect. There are some things that didn't work out, like the upstairs um, guest room. You couldn't have a full-length closet. No. Because of the duct work that needed to happen, you could only bring, like, short pants and folded sweaters. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need in Tuscany. But it was a really pretty house, right? So we, we go home, and we have to start working from home. And I've always been a buggy person about a do unscripted television. And I tell people every, everything. I tell them every weird story and all kinds of things on the show. So I felt like our home upstate was like 
no one can come here. Just the close people that we invite that are like family to us. So when we started to film there, it was really horrifying to me. Like it frightened the pants off me. Because it's worlds colliding, right? It's your personal life overlapping with your professional life in a way that it hadn't before. Exactly, exactly. And that's so hard. It's so hard. I wrote an entire book about it. This must be the place. Uh, I love David Byrne, so the reference is obvious there. So while we're working there, our home burns down. I read about that. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. And our house burns into the ground. How did the fire start? It was creosote, it's called. Uh, it's a, it's a buildup in your chimney. And I had my chimney cleaned twice a year. And it spit up on the roof and the roof caught fire. Like we just built a fire because it was a cool evening. And the fire kind of like had a burp. And the ember fell on the roof and the roof caught fire and the house burned into the ground. Heartbreaking. I'm so sorry. And I'm so glad that you were all safe. I remember reading that your family was safe. My mom lives across the street so, uh, in my original cabin. So I was worried that the fire was going to go down the hill. Sure. And did she watch the fire? Did she see the fire? We all did. Adjacent to the first, to where my mom was living. We bought this tiny little patch of land through a weird set of circumstances. And we weren't ever planning on building on more land. We bought this tiny little patch of land and we built a guest house there. And that's where we ended up living for two and a half years. And we filmed over 220 or 30 shows there. Wow. Just the two of us and the puppy. So after my dog died in my arms in my backyard, she's buried up above our property, the big house. Then our house burned down and into the ground. Then we adopted Bella, Bella Boo Blue. And Bella had only been with us a few weeks. And then the house burned down. Mm. We took her across the street in our flip-flops. We had no clothes, no underwear, nothing. We had nothing. The house went so fast, it was just gone. And I was teaching a children's program a cooking camp online while the house was burning down. And I had the final episode coming up. I had all these guest chefs, uh, so many of my friends from over the years at Food Network and just all the world's greatest chefs teaching kids how to cook one thing or another thing. And the last show was coming up and everybody offered, Emerald, so many people, they said, I'll teach the last class. I'll teach the last class. And I'm like, no. I promised the children I would be here. Uh, it was two or three days after my house burned that I did the final class. And it was a, a meatless, it was a meat alternative spaghetti and meatballs for kids that were vegan or vegetarian. Weird. <laughs> In borrowed clothes and, and no makeup in a guest house. And we had 10,000 families uh, tune in for it. It was pretty That's incredible. incredible. Now, Rachel, I wanted to sort of mention, I think, you know, I know that De- Debbie and I have been talking about your recent event that happened in Florence. And I wondered whether this kind of incredible loss, you've always been associated with charitable organizations. You've always done a lot of volunteer work. My husband and I created our entire brand 
to feed children, to bring better food into public schools. It's the only fair game uh, place where you can reach every child and give them food security. And then we did the same model that we used for, for humans and, and children. We use that as our model for animal food and for animal rescue. Bravo. And our foundation, I think we've, we've given away over $85 million so far with the, all of our efforts. I sort of wondered whether, you know, losing your own home in such a, you know, sudden and violent way would, you know, connect you even more deeply to the kinds of causes that you align with on a human level. Because I know you spent a lot of time in Ukraine. Well, that's, that's always been there years and years and years before I understood uh, Ukraine, Ukraina, and, and the conflict there. This is what we based our entire business on for the last 20 years almost now, 18, 19 years now. That's a beautiful thing. So our commitment has always been, and I was taught this by people like uh, Oprah, President Clinton, all kinds of people, John McCain, uh, conservatives, liberals. I, I, I always ask people, how do we give back in an appropriate way? Because most people say, well, what can I do? And there's never an answer. I watch mountains of news. I read I know that's a weird word. I still read <laughs> yeah, four letter word. <laughs> I, I read books, newspapers. Uh, and I am a, I am a student. Uh, I, I know I'm 55, but I always consider myself every day an opportunity to be a student of the world. Uh, and I want to learn something every day and I want to be correct about it. Is this factual information, or is this hate mongering or propaganda? What's true? And how do we get to the core of that? It's, it's not an easy job, by the way. No, it's, it's a big job. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my co-host. <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before, too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? <laughs> and when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen, sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com decorator. A big part of design and decoration for us, and everyone really, is putting your memories on display. When my children went away to camp, it was the first time we'd kind of not been together, and they both wrote me letters, and they were probably eight and nine years old, and they are the funniest letters, and I framed them, put them up on the wall, and I see them every day, and sometimes if I feel a bit down, I just read those letters, mostly asking me for more candy, but I think framing a letter is a wonderful thing. 
That is why we love the idea of FrameBridge. They honestly make it so easy to get anything framed, and they're really, truly affordable. It's easy to do in person at one of their 20 FrameBridge retail stores, and... It's so easy to order online at FrameBridge.com. You just upload a photo for them to print. Picking the frame was really easy, but also really hard because there were so many options. I went for Walnut, which is a solid Walnut frame, but I think next time I'll go for Florence and they'll mail it to you using their free, secure, prepaid packaging service. FrameBridge has been trusted to frame millions of our memories. Visit framebridge.com or a local FrameBridge store. You can custom frame just about anything. Again, that's framebridge.com. Rachel, what what brought you the first? You've been five times to the Ukraine. You can't watch something that is so wrong happen in front of your eyes, whether you're reading it or watching it literally live time, you know, on video. At least I couldn't. I could not stand to watch any more of this and not ask, what can I do? And you will not believe the, the explanation to this. It, it's incredible. When we got Bella, Bella, we rescued. She was in two foster homes and we got her uh, on the last day she was going to be kept in her shelter. She unfortunately was in a kill shelter. Now, no one that works in a kill shelter wants to kill animals. Of course, they love animals. But many communities throughout the country, they just can't, they can't sustain that. And we try and rescue with North Shore Animal League America. We try and rescue animals from, from, from these places before it's too late. It was her last day. And I saw this little picture of the saddest eyes I've ever seen in my life. Giant blue eyes, giant white chest. Her mother was a red-nosed pit bull and her father was a Weimariner. So she's blue fur, white giant pit bull chest, giant blue eyes. She looked like David Bowie and Amon's love baby. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I desperately need to bring this dog home. So that's how we got her. And, you know, if you are always into this mode where you're affected by animals, you're affected by humans that are suffering, you're affected by people that, are victims of circumstance. They, you know, the horrible storms, climate change, what have you. It, you, I don't know how to explain it. You can't, you can't not try and do something. So when we got Bella, we couldn't take her for a walk in New York City or take her to a park or a doggy training center. You couldn't go anywhere. It was a pandemic. So this woman, Elizabeth Lajeunez, has this brilliant center called Dog Logic. She has literally written a book about dogs and their sense of logic and how they think and uh, how to train them and how to be appropriate for each breed. Do they need to work on their hips because they're going to have hip dysplasia, which is the category that my dog is in. Or do, do we need to make their upper body stronger? You know, do we need to work on focus 
and keeping the dog calm or more friendly to other dogs, blah, blah. So this woman, her brother works for a Republican who goes back and forth, had just returned from Ukraine. And I'm talking to her about how I want to do something for Ukraine. She says, you know, my brother right now is working in politics and it's a bipartisan uh, trip. He just went on with Amy Klobuchar and, you know, it was Republicans and Democrats together. They just returned with the UCCA, the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America. Uh, They just came back from Ukraine. I think I know people that can help you if you want to go to Ukraine to help Ukrainians. So this is how I meet Andri Fute through the lady who helped my rescue dog after my dog died and my house burned down. This is how I got to Ukraine. Is that not nuts? That is nuts. absolutely nuts. But it's often the way things work out, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, if you're looking at your life from above, all these little threads are coming together. That's right. And your life is a quilt. Your life yeah, is a quilt. It's a quilt, absolutely. So so when you first went, tell us, you know. I said, feel- what, what can I do? What can we bring? So the most urgent need was uh, frontline kits for um, saving limbs, basically. There's 17 elements involved in each kit. And I bought $100,000 worth on our first trip. Again, none of this can come out of our foundation. This is my husband and myself. Honey, let's take a rather large withdrawal this week from the bank. Yeah. I need <laughs> and, some money. Uh, yeah. We we bought uh, about $100,000 worth of these kits. 17 elements. I think the most special element in these kits, they're tourniquet kits, basically. So they can save limbs and organs when people... Because everyone that's in Ukraine, these are not soldiers uh, solely. These are uh, uh, doctors, engineers, your next door neighbor, grandmothers throwing tomatoes at drones. Like, this is everyone. And children. children. Children fighting for democracy itself. Uh, Well, the children are the victims. They're not out there with machine guns at least, right? I didn't see that, uh, but every single person here is is fighting just for the right to exist and be a democracy. They're protecting all of us, everyone in the world that believes that democracy, small d, is the way to go. That's what what's at stake here. And these folks have put literally their lives and limbs on the line for all of us. So we started on that first trip with a plan to get these uh, kits built out. We, uh, we build them out in, in warehouse space with a whole team and network uh, of people that keep us safe when we're there. And the most special thing in the kit is this, this gel stuff that draws all the blood that's left in your body if you've been shot or hit by missile fire. It draws all the blood to that limb or to wherever the injury is so that you don't lose that organ or that piece of your body. And then they uh, tie it off, of course, and there's all sorts of other components to the kit. 17. 
uh, built to NATO standards, 17 in every kit. Um, now we, we also provide all sorts of different gear for different seasons because they, it gets brutally, brutally, brutally cold and they have to deal with horrible mud. There's, there's all kinds of circumstances we try and deal with. Separately, we went to the children's orphanage and I met Father Andri at the San Bosco Orphanage, which is also a training center, a training facility that gives children five different programs they can learn until they're 18 years old. They can get their skills, like what we used to call in America, a BOCES training program. They can learn to be an engineer or a chef or work in uh, hospitality, blah, blah. Father had this made for me, gave it to me. This is the symbol of uh, Ukraine, of Ukraine. And I have three Andres, the mayor of Lviv, uh, the father at the children's orphanage, and my friend Andre Fute, who brings me back and forth and gets me in and out safe every time we go. And so we took this uh, symbol and this example of, of Ukrainian art, and we gave it to my friends in Tuscany at Dabrena, Sebastian and his wife, Megan, and they started creating this jewelry. I was already designing jewelry with them and for them um, just because I like to draw <laughs> and, and I doodle constantly. I don't just do foodles. I do jewelry doodles too. So we were already going to work together. This is in Cortona, this jewelry shop. You can order them any place on the planet Earth and they put... Uh, Rachel Ray on the back, the symbols on the front, and we have many different styles in silver and in gold. And the proceeds from this go to help the rehabilitation center in Ukraine. Unbroken is the center that we're working on right now. I go to the children's hospital, which is here. And then next door, this is separate from the orphanage, next door to the children's hospital is this huge rehabilitation center that Andriy Sadovy, the, the, the mayor, has been working on for 10 years. You know, Americans think this, this conflict is young. Year and a half, two years is their awareness of it. It's not. This is a decade of people losing land and losing traction and Putin trying to reclaim old mother Russia by annihilating free people that, you know, they, they chose to live in a democracy. And he's been trying to break that down since they started to build it. So it's a very skewed view. And it's just so beautiful that so many people are trying to help us in any way, shape or form. And the monies that we're, we're trying to collect now are for our biggest project yet. My husband and I have bought a microscope, some cataract surgery, uh, eye equipment for the hospital. We have purchased these frontline kits. We've uh, built out the entire cooking center at the orphanage. Uh, I bought, I don't know, 15 different cooking stations there, 15 different stoves. We did all of the electricity. We did the ventilation. It's just growing and growing in such a beautiful way. But the, the exciting thing that we're working on right now is it Unbroken. Unbroken is the name of this giant 
facility next to the children's hospital that has been this decade-long dream of my other Amity. So at this center, it's going to have a maternity center. It's going to have a, a mental uh, help for all, for PTSD and, and just trying to rejoin society. They have a special training facility where everything is color-coded, where people that have lost limbs and been through severe brain trauma can learn how to live again on their own in an apartment. Everything's color-coded and it's like a training apartment. We have water um, facilities uh, where you can be lifted in if you've lost your legs or some of, uh, of your body parts or your limbs. There's a special treatments that, that we give in this giant pool facility. We have an actual robot that you can put people that have lost their limbs to train them how to walk again with prostheses. They get inside this giant machine and they load in what's left of their limbs and the machine walks them uphill and downhill and flat and it teaches their bodies how to reacclimate to what their life will be next. I mean, it, it's so overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. Rachel, how much do you need to raise to get Unbroken off the ground? Well, what we're trying to do now is, is build out a main kitchen. They don't have a kitchen. There's four to 5,000 beds a day uh, that will, uh, are occupied and will be occupied even more so as the center builds out in every single phase. So they need one kitchen that will feed four to 5,000 people a day. And when I started, we started with WCK, my dear friend, Jose Andres. My husband came with me our first trip. He worked with me at the World Central Kitchen on the Polish border as all the people, millions, were, were crossing into Poland and they were trying to, to care for all these folks. I have literally cooked for 5,000 people a day alongside my husband and friends of mine, dear friends of mine, uh, for many hours a day. So we're trying to build a kitchen that looks a lot like what Jose was brilliant enough to create and that they recreate all over the world where it's needed. We're trying to build out a kitchen that has a huge, they're like giant paella pans, these huge pieces of equipment that can make borscht, soup, you know, all, all kinds of hot food. And then cold stations and giant sandwich stations so we can produce three meals a day for four to 5,000 people three times a day. That's our goal. Um, the budget is about $250,000 to $300,000, which I think is pretty cheap considering what we're trying. I was going to say, that's not so bad. Not so bad at all. I know people who have tiny restaurants and it's cost them millions to build. Yes. Them, you know? yep. it's, it's not a ton of money. However, it's a little bit much of a lift. My poor husband, I just go, and we try and do it ourselves. I think he would actually maybe leave me. I'm thinking not. <laughs> but- you know, we've already done five, five times. And every time I go, I always buy something for the kids at the orphanage. We always bring toys or treats or anything they want. We've bought them ice cream machines to book bags and school supplies. And, you know, every time we go, it's something else. We've gotten a floor cleaner for the father. He really wanted something to clean the floors. 
<laughs> Amazing. Uh, but we're trying to get a little bit of help and, and support when it comes to raising funds so that we can all share the burden. But more importantly, people will ask you, what is that simple you're wearing around your neck? You know, what is that thing here, that funny thing you're wearing on your wrist? And what I'm trying to do is keep Ukraine on everyone's lips and in their hearts and in their minds. That's the number one goal for me. Keep the conversation going. It's, it's, it's not just about dollars. It's about, are you discussing this? Are you sharing information with friends and saying, we should keep these people and the people that re represent us. We're constituents, right? We all have representatives. We have to keep it important to the people that we elect. And we have to keep it important to our neighbors that we support these folks. Let's just talk about um, how everybody listening can, can help on whatever little level. Um, so Del Brenner, are friends of mine too, and that's how you and I met. So Del Brenner make, it's like a third, fourth generation jewelry maker. So they're beautiful pieces. You've designed this, this, this series of necklaces. Well, we designed, Sabi is really the brilliant guy there, right? Yeah, yeah. But they are gorgeous because we saw they were, you know, we all had them on Tuesday. Yes. And, you know, this week when we were all got, got together um, and Christmas is coming, holidays are coming, you know, and you're right because um, it is something that people could wear and then people can say, it just brings attention. Where did you get that? What is it? And they are extremely beautiful. And it's every shape and size. It's silver, it's gold, it's for men, it's for women, it's for old, it's for young. And it's called Wear Hope Help Ukraine. And, you know, people can, there's, there's three things. They can go to Del Brenna, of course. They have a huge portion of their site dedicated to this project. And you can see all of the uh, uh, products there, beautifully shot in like an, an amazing villa, you know, with gorgeous models. And, I mean, my goodness, <laughs> really. It was me and you. <laughs> and also, you can always give to Unbroken directly through the UCCA and just the Unbroken website. Uh, it's very easy to find all of these things online immediately. They're in front of your face. Uh, but the, the most important thing is free. You, you can, if you can afford to do any of that, that's terrific. Or you can afford to give a friend a small gift or a small token that happens to include remembering these people. That's awesome. A lot of people, especially around the holidays, might not have extra money. Maybe they just want to give $5 to Unbroken or they want to just keep the words on their lips and just have a conversation with people that you respect and care about and share your thoughts. Read up on what's going on in Ukraine. And Stay aware. And about the, the first family and what they're going through. And, you know, the first children that I met there, we were talking about this at the, at the event the other night. Uh, the first family that I met at the children's hospital was a mother and her twins. The little boy had been unharmed because he stayed inside the train station that was hit by that giant missile strike. All women and children were standing outside. The grandmother, the mother, and her daughter were standing outside waiting for the train to come and for news about when it was going to arrive. 
The little boy stayed inside to protect and guard the luggage. The grandmother was blown to bits. The mother lost her leg and her daughter lost both legs. And the day I met these children, I told you this story the other night. The day I met these children was the first day I went to the children's hospital on my first trip. The little girl with no lower limbs lost her legs at her knees, both of them. Her legs were bandaged and hanging off the edge of her bed. And she was painting a picture. And when I first met her, she asked me, do I look okay? Are my earrings in straight? Because they don't get visitors. And there was a man, uh, I, I forget who he worked for, one of the major a AP or something, Associated Press, I think he was, but he was from Spain. But he was filming the, the hospital and he followed us uh, into the room. And she saw the camera and got nervous and she's like, do you like my picture? I wish I had stronger colors. And then she asked me if her earrings were in straight. And I asked mom, how is she? And she said, I have my, my children here, so I'm okay. She had one, one limb, one, one leg. And the little boy was doing uh, a, a toy that someone had gifted him uh, that had some, uh, uh, it was like a sort of a electrical experiment to try and get the thing to light up. And I said, how are you doing? Do you like this toy? And he said, I wish it was Minecraft. <laughs> oh. So after we left the hospital that day, we were going to meet the mayor and we were a, a few minutes early for that. And as I'm walking towards uh, City Hall, we passed this toy store that looked like the old FAO Schwartz. It's huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was Minecraft in the window. Okay. And we went and bought tons of paints and tons of Minecraft and sent it the biggest set of Minecraft they had and a, a couple of, cents of uh, sets of strong color paints. Wow. And the, the mayor's office representative who was guiding us around got it back to the children immediately. And the children took pictures of their toys and sent me their photo. And they said, lots of people tell us they're going to do things for us and they never do. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> they were so happy. Rachel, it's so, it's so heartbreaking. It's so overwhelming for anybody <laughs> listening because you're right, you, you, you don't know what to do. You really don't know how to help. And, and these stories are getting lost a little bit now in the news. Um, and, and I think what you're doing, you know, you talking to Tommy and I, you know, we can help in our tiny, wee little way in the world. And I think everybody listening can help in their way. And even if it's just being more aware, I mean, I, I'm, I'm finding it quite hard to speak, but because it's so upsetting. But um, yeah, you, you just have to talk to each other and keep these folks, again, in your hearts, on your lips and in your mind. We really all owe them such a huge debt, huge. such an enormous debt. Well, and thank you, Rachel, for allowing us an opportunity to be with you today and talk about it, because I think 
you know, this message of keeping the conversation going is so vitally important. And you have spent a lifetime and a career gathering people together. And if each of us, you know, according to our means can donate, but those who can't can just simply at the dinner table when gathering with family, coming up into the holiday season with Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and Hanukkah ahead of us, to be able to just keep this conversation going at dinner tables, what could be more Rachel Ray than that? Gather <laughs> around food, talk about issues that are human and that connect us all in a global way and keep the conversation going. So thank you for allowing us to do that here. I feel very emotional too. Me, me too. Like a, make a borscht party. We're all crying. <laughs> we're, all, we're all crying. It's very Italian actually what's make happening. We're all in tears. I make a hell of a borscht, let me tell you. I bet. Rachel, just to cheer us all up, tell us what you're making tonight. What, what are you cooking just to cheer us up? Yes, tell us what's for dinner. Tonight is uh, a scampi. I just made the reduced... Uh, uh, shrimp stock, you know, you toast the heads in the, in the, in the shells and make a reduced stock. And I use dry vermouth in mine and a lemon butter to finish. So we're making a big scampi. We're making, uh, sliced bistecca, sliced steaks, um, with arugula. So tagliati, basically tagliata is a sliced steak with greens and buttery olives and toasted walnuts. Um, and uh, charred lemons squished all over the top. And I made a roast cherry tomato and eggplant sauce from our garden, from our orto in the backyard. Uh, and we'll toss that with some rigatoni. Uh, we're doing some baked pears with soft pecorino and some truffle onion jam on top. My sister made a beautiful fig tart from our fig trees. Uh, we got a lot of food. <laughs> Nobody's going to be hungry, that is for sure, at your house tonight. We're going to attach links to all of the organizations that Rachel is so heroically helping around the world, and especially in Ukraine. And we're going to have all of that on our website attached to this podcast episode. And Rachel, it's been a long time dream of mine to meet you. You certainly don't disappoint. You're everything <laughs> that I'd hoped you would be. And Thank you for being so wonderful and for all that you do. I, I loved having this conversation with you. Well, we have a lot of new projects coming up. So guys, call me whenever. And uh, honestly, thank you guys for making the time and putting a spotlight on this. I worry so much. Uh, I worry all the time that we're losing uh, the light on, on such an important thing for the, for the world. And you're shining a light. You are shining a light. Because of you guys. Thank you. It's such a generous thing you're doing. Thank you. All right, my love. We'll chat soon. Come over and see me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and big hugs to our audience during this time. We hope to have distracted you or inspired you in some way today. As Rachel said, keep those suffering in your hearts, on your lips and in your mind. I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. 
This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.